I found that same Boniface quote. It's from one of his letters. He says, the church is like a great ship sailing the sea of the world and tossed by the waves of temptation in this life. So that became the uh, organizing principle of my next collection of poems. How many books you got? Um, I think this will this will be six. So we got to talk about your works more, especially <laughs> your Christian humanism stuff. We got to talk about that more. Okay, I found it. Here it goes. So, just in case anybody else wants to know, there's this post. There's a place where it has all your posts. And on Instagram, you can save it. I must be getting old because I don't know why I didn't find this earlier. Anyway, um, Filmmaker Zone. I follow these guys on okay. Instagram. Uh, they got all kinds of information about films and movies and stuff like that. And they had the most expensive TV shows in history. So the first one up, of course, was Game of Thrones. No, wrong. No, no. Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Oh, the new. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Fifty-eight million per episode. Yeah, yeah, that's fifty-eight million per episode. Right. Stranger Things, number two, thirty million per episode. That is that the new. That must be the new season. That's crazy. Which fourth season was incredible. I don't know if you've watched it yet. I never got past the first season. Talk about that oh, man. <laughs> um, first season. I watched the first season before when se- season two was had just come out. And season two, I was a little bit of a letdown, but then it gave me. The I same liked feeling. what they were doing, so I well, stuck with it. Season okay, well, four I, made it worth it. They, they. I knew they were setting me up for something. It was too good. Always, yeah, everybody's always. It was too good. I don't want to be let down. You know what I mean? It was like, it was like, yeah. So the fourth season though, they did the Freddy Krueger was, uh, you know, nightmare on Elm street was their, um, was the kind of organizing horror story. And they did it so well. Um, and I mean, it's, it's much more horror than the, than the previous one, than seasons two and three. And, uh, yeah, but it was it was super well done. The, I, the other problem, the other problem I had, Jason, with it, I'm not gonna let this. The other problem I had was it reminded me too much of it. And when I ever start feeling that feeling of fear, <laughs> oh yeah, that no, I me, that's then that's I'm out. That's exactly what they're they're that's that's what they're doing. And they're the you know season one. I mean, they just said we're trying to get family <laughs> family friendly horror horror that the family there's no such thing. Together. There's no such thing. <laughs> No, doesn't exist. One division, twenty five million. Okay, that that makes sense. Did you see? Um, nope. Yet. Nope. <laughs> Dude, I, Aaron and I went. I mean, I, yeah. I'm. I'm I, I, was, I won't say anything. I won't. Uh, no spoilers. There, there's a. There's, see, this is like Jordan. <laughs> see, Jordan is playing with fire with this though. Oh, I know. Jordan is playing with fire. He know the black for we like we nah. You know, it was just nope. enough to like we want to go the, like, ah, even the name nope. even the name of it. I was like, this he knows exactly what he's doing. Remember <laughs> because because <laughs> well, it was and what what was the I'm trying to think of what it was because it was that even the phrase nope. I remember it it comes from I can't remember if it's Chris Rock's stand up or. 
but Eddie Murphy. He's like, it was Eddie Murphy. Is it Eddie Murphy? Yeah. It's like black black people. They they don't put black people in a horror movie because you know what we're gonna be like. We're gonna be like, nope. <laughs> is it Eddie Murphy it, raw? That's it, I think it was, that's it was Eddie Murphy about going to a haunted house. Yeah, 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 black yeah folks, exactly. Yeah, right. they go inside of a haunted like, house. Yeah. Like, oh, it's a nice house. It looked really nice. <laughs> yeah, we're all gonna go in there. And he's like, black and folks are like, nope. All of a sudden, you hear a sound that says, "Get out!" And he's like, "All right, we're out of here, baby. We yeah, ain't heading down." Yeah. Like, nope, we out. Yeah, I think it's, <laughs> and, it's Eddie Murphy. And so when I saw the when I I saw the the like just the teaser, the thirty second, and it was called Nope, and I was like, I will be there opening weekend because <laughs> i know exactly what he's doing and he's he's such a great screenwriter he's he's really good he's and this he's, was really well written he's the other side of jj abrams you know he they have that they share that same sort mm-hmm. of yeah um, but with jj right. abrams he he's he's capturing the he captured that kind of et late 70s early 80s vibe and brought it back to life really well um and then he just got too much money and we you know and he it's like a lot of people where you give him you give him an unlimited budget and very few people can handle an unlimited budget um jj abrams is what came he's the person who came after after effects became a common thing he's the kind of creator that is birthed out of yeah after effects and us being able to have our own ability to create uh, kids being able to have their own ability to create their shows they want to create um, from their inspiration, you know? Okay. Yeah. Here, here, House of Dragons, 20 million per episode. Okay. I'm going somewhere. That makes sense. This. Okay. Uh, the Pacific, 20 million per episode. The Pacific? Yeah. It was. What's um, that? You don't remember this one? I don't remember this one. Um, I saw it was on. I think it was on HBO. It's like time. Band of Brothers. It was kind of like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, Apple, they ain't playing with them. C, fifteen mm-hmm. million per episode. I never watched more than half an episode. I could half get of the it. first episode. Yeah, that's about how you far too. I got. <laughs> it was like I. I mean, we got a whole bunch of people walking here blind. I'm just not going to be. It's just, yeah. I guess I could turn it off myself and just listen to it. Right. Uh, Game of Thrones. That, but then you get, then you get uh, Pitch Black. Do you remember that movie, Pitch Black? Yes, that I was, do. That was, that was one of my movie. favorite films. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was a low budget joint too. Game of it Thrones was. was 15 million per episode. Okay. The Mandalorian, phenomenal. 15 mm-hmm. million per episode. The Crown. 13 million per episode. That's pretty amazing. I mean, it's so well done. Now, what? I'm I'm, a, I'm about four episodes into that one right now. The Crown? I should watch the that? The Crown. Yeah, Aaron and I are watching it right now. It's really good. So, I, I, I went don't know through what, all... I know the story vaguely, so... I, Yeah, it's it's really, really well done. I, wouldn't, I wasn't going to talk to you about this, but I just happened to run across this, and it messed me up. I went through all those, and I was like... Man, what what Christian do I know? My pillow, think of large institutions, large companies. Um, I could convince almost every Christian to pay for a two, three hundred, seven hundred fifty thousand, one point five million dollar documentary or 
film. I don't think outside of maybe one concept could I convince a Christian to come up with $20 million, $13 million per episode for anything. I don't think I could convince them that it would be valuable, worthy, or a good pursuit in order to be able to create enough noise, attention, impact, cultural impact. Um, I I couldn't convince them that spending that kind of money on shows like this would be valuable to the kingdom. You know what I mean? I I was just thinking about that, but these guys, you know. Yeah, they absolutely get the value. They, they understand um, what it is that, I mean, they, it, but it's like what you're saying with Stranger Things. You know, they're setting you up for something, right? Like, yeah. They know that, that if they, if they're telling the best, if they're the best storytellers, that they're the ones forming the, the moral imagination of the next generation. I mean, that, that it, it's, that's the, it's, it's in the beauty. Um, it, it's the thing that, that it looks the most beautiful is the thing that you're going to look at and say, I believe that's good. Right. That's the way our moral imagination is formed. And if it, if, and Christians think that that's all that they're, that it's all trickery, but that's actually the way God built the world. The, the, because he is goodness, beauty, and truth to the nth degree. Um, uh, we're designed to see those things as fitting together. The fall temporarily sometimes can separate them, um, but story it, storytelling is a way of uh, is the way that that's communicated from generation to generation. We don't tell our kids stories anymore. We depend upon somebody else to tell stories. The church doesn't doesn't support the arts. Um, it it doesn't you know, the uh, the way that it used to it used to be the one you know it, it used to fund a lot of art a lot of beauty because it it was it understood that the world fit together that way and so it knew that one of its jobs is going going to be to make sure that beautiful art is created that is true and good uh, we have passed that all off and there's something fine about that because I mean, it's, it's not like the church should be the only one making sure that art gets funded. There's, there's a capitalistic aspect to it. Um, But yeah, but it seems to be very, very left focused centered. I mean, you know, well, but that's because that the, um, the, the, the leftists, the communists in particular knew that you have to go after the artists. You have to go after the art training institutions, the the media institutions. You you know you you go after those institutions um, with your because that's that that's how the imagination of the next generation is formed, and so you you go for it. Um, and uh, there was a concerted effort amongst. Um, the communists to go after newspapers, to go after uh, schools, uh, uh, institutions, 
seminaries even um, and to purposefully go after those institutions, spend money to conquer those, conquer ideologically conquer those institutions. Um, and the, the conservatives were busy kind of rotting from the, in the inside. So we missed it, right? We weren't, we, we had, uh, we had compromised, um, and the, the church wasn't in, in good shape. The church was then. So we got, <laughs> there was an end run that, uh, we didn't have anyone to, uh, guard that, that run and they ran and got a touchdown. So over and uh, over and over. There's a man. There's a whole lot of questions I want to ask right now, Jason. So more, our moral imaginations are going to be shaped by something. They're not just going to sit there. Something's going to shape them. When I, I've, I've said this before, we've been talking about this. And, and when I saw these numbers come out, I'm thinking to myself, Man, they have really put their money deep, deep, deep money and have stolen some of our stuff. I'm sorry, Lord of the Rings. Um, mm -hmm. we should that's on us, man. Yep. I mean the fairy tales. This is this is one of the things that was really interesting. I just I was just started telling you about this earlier that I just finished a really great podcast series about Nixon. Um Nixon, he he got in he got in hot water with the media because he went after Alger Hiss really hard, who turned out to be a communist spy. Um, but in the process, he he get, um, got sideways with uh, a whole bunch of screenwriters um, it, that that he knew had connections to the Communist Party and people that had gotten really high up in Hollywood and. And he just said, that's, you know, I'm going to out them all. And so he did. He just was, you know, um, and, and now the way Hollywood tells the story is that it was this, you know, crazy black blacklisting and all of this. But there were actual real communists and communist spies that had worked their way into um, real positions of power in the media. And now we know that because the USSR fell and we've got all of their papers and right. We, so we know that, that it was actually really happening. They infiltrated um, the media, right? They had infiltrated the media and the, what they say is they were true believers, you know? Um, and there was a lot of folks on the left, especially amongst the, um, uh, you know, especially amongst the, um, the segregationists, you know, because the because the there was so much um, compromise amongst the segregationists, they were an easy target, and uh, the the left just you know kind of slipped right in. I mean, you got to remember, like Hitler was Times Man of the Year twice. Everybody looked at the socialists. Um, because that's what that's what Hitler was, a national socialist. They looked at the socialists and the communists, and they said they're on to something, right? On the left, like they they they're gathering all of the power into the state. They're centralizers. Um, 
The, yeah, even America was looking at them. I mean, them and Russia, mm-hmm. right? We were looking at both yeah, of them. Russia looking at the USSR, looking at, and they were saying, you know, they're really onto something. Look how well they have gathered the power into the state. They're going to get rid of poverty. They're going, you know, they're going to um, create equality. Uh, they're they are they're going to restore what what um, what. Uh, we have they're going to restore um equality to society and right now you know we don't have it so all of that really works or or at least create a paradise that we're trying to create right like right yeah that was exactly because they're going to restore us to the garden yeah and and part of it too is because they're coming out at this point if i remember i think it was you to put me on the paul johnson's book modern times Mm -hmm. um uh you have the the collapse of the market that they're coming out of that too. And everybody's trying to rebuild their society and the working class are having a problem with the, 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 um, uh, with the rich, the rich class. And so they look like they've had it all worked out. Where right. Well, and you, people and are thriving be, because everybody's moving to the city. They're, they're kind of losing their connection to uh, the, their families, they're losing their connection to, you know, multi-generational parish churches, stuff like that, that they'd had. Um, and they're moving to factories and there's unscrupulous factory owners doing, doing things they ought not to. Um, and unions are forming in order to try and restore, like, um, w- when uh, you go out, even even today, you know, if you go out to a small town and you talk to the commissioner of a small town um, or the mayor of a small town and you say, hey, I've got this project and it's out there on this thing I'm trying to build out there. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's out next to, to Danny's property. I know him. Our kids go to school together or we play, you know, our kids play soccer together or baseball or whatever. You're less likely to have a mayor that just says, yeah, do whatever you want. If he knows that across the street, it's going to affect Danny, who he knows his wife and kids and his grandparents and um, the or their second cousins or something. Right. The connections that are still there uh, protect you from just running over somebody. Every, when everybody moves into the city during the Industrial Revolution, what you get is this really this depersonalization of your neighbor um, and, you know, that that makes it really easy to just treat people like cogs that are in, in a machine. Um, and, it, you know, you've got the philosophical shift going on um, where people are becoming more and more um, the, the, their imagination is formed by a, a new set of metaphors that are more of a machine driven system. The world is a machine. The world is a clock. The, the, uh, the sky is a, is a is a machine the my neighbor is a machine a biological machine um and then society as a whole is a machine with the people being cogs and uh so they're taken over by this whole understanding and so then they start taking advantage of one another evolution is a is growing as well right so people you know people are just it's survival of the fittest in business um, it's survival of the fittest in in the way the city runs, um, and into that steps communists that say, 
we will equalize everything. We will take the power away from the rich and, and spread it out to everyone. We'll give it, we'll take away the wealth um, and, and everybody and give, give that wealth to everyone and everyone will be rich. You know, you still, I still see people doing this sort of thing where they say, Oh, he's building, you know, uh, uh, Elon Musk is buying Twitter for $44 million. Um, That would, you know, 44 billion 44 billion dollars and they start doing doing the math and saying he could give everybody such and such amount of money right 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 and and, but people but that's just people don't understand that's not how economics works right if all of a sudden every single person has a million dollars a million dollars just now is worthless because everybody's got it right a million dollars becomes one dollar that's can can we try can we try <laughs> just for a little bit? Right, just for a little <laughs> no, bit. <I> <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's the that's the it's the 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 illusion um, that the problem that that the problem can be is a math problem, right? Yeah, that the that they yeah. can be solved that way. But it, it's that illusion. You know, you start saying, "Man, if I had a million dollars." The problem is, is if everybody on your block suddenly had a million dollars, everybody in your city suddenly had suddenly had a million dollars. It just go that that you that the million dollars just doesn't mean what it did ten minutes ago. Um, there's a great Ducktales episode about this actually. Uh, I think you, I might have remembered that one. <laughs> yeah, where, where the every there's so much gold that gold becomes worthless. It's yeah, really it's, everywhere. It's, yeah, yeah, and um and there's it's old. It's so. But that's the thing is there's the storytelling system um, was taken over by people that are bad at economics are bad at math. They're bad at normal human life. They're they. So what they're making beautiful is no longer true is no longer good. Right. And, and that's, and, but they act, they didn't, it's not propaganda in the sense that they don't, that, that they're, that they know they're telling falsehoods. They actually believe it. That's why it works. Um, and as Christians, what we've done is we we've either said that's a bad use of storytelling. Stories are lies. We aren't going to take part anymore. And we try to back out of the system um, and it, that doesn't work. And so we lose our kids uh, or we try to, tell the story, tell the story the way we wish it was. Um, and that ends up, and then our kids say, Hey, we got lied to, um, or, you know, the, the third option, which we haven't really tried, which is actually believe our own story and, and then put our money where our mouth is and tell stories that way. And I think, um, we, we went out to the Ark Encounter about a week ago, a little over a week ago now, going on two weeks. And um, it was amazing to see. Just after reading about the ark so much and um, always talking about the flood and and going to see that somebody actually took the time to build and remake the ark and to tell that story and all the other stories around it. And then so in the ark they go, I think, from the flood all the way up until the Tower of Babel. Um, and they deal a lot with race inside of the ark, and they show um, the the seed from 
Noah, his sons, and how every other race came from them and then where they went to. And it was really, you know, when you think about it, the, the importance of that story and be able to create and tell that story, I'm thinking, man, we have TV shows galore inside right. of I mean, you know, we have a line that ends, right? That <laughs> you know, there's you know, uh that doesn't make it anymore because of how he treated his father, right? And that that line's done. It's over. And then the other two, and that those carry out. And then how in the world do we get all of these people from these six? You know? Um and it's just it's just amazing. And so we haven't even begun to tell those stories. We haven't begun to walk through that. We haven't begun to to spend our money. Look, I love me some Lewis. I think we need to be telling a lot of his stories. You know, I think I love, uh, you know, J.R. Token. That's great. I want those stories. But man, we got a a Bible full of some amazing stories that we haven't begun to dig deep into the imagination of. And these are the kind of stories that shape our our moral imagination in ways that other stories don't right yeah you know and i think i I think that's that's one of the things that we we have not yet even that we just don't know anymore we don't realize anymore um that that the one the that the the person who tells us the best story um is the one that wins the contest um and that's it's I call it the Horatian principle of literature uh, of the Horatian principle of literature or the Horatian principle of storytelling, because Horace um, is the one who first wrote it down. He was just a Roman. He was a Roman poet, Roman statesman. And he, uh, he just said the, the, the one who teaches the best lesson and tells the most beautiful story will always win the contest. Right. Yeah. When it, when it comes down to it. So if you if you tell a story that is both true and beautiful then or that is both good and beautiful then people will see that it's true the same way with true and beautiful uh, but that that if you don't tell a beautiful story then you lose the contest right it doesn't matter how if if you're right if your story's ugly you'll lose right. so I, I, our moral imaginations have not been shaped by Christianity over the last what? Eighty years, hundred years, I at mean, least a hundred, hundred fifty, right? I mean, you got to mark Dewey, yeah, right. Like that Dewey really does start the process of helping that process. But we yeah. had to had our that's nineteen twenties when that really sets in. Um, is the the new system, but but really, I mean. It, it goes back the 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 different story begins being told as Carl Linnaeus he's back in the um he's a Swiss guy and and Rousseau Diderot were the you talked about him before you talked about yeah. him before right yeah 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 so he he's the one that that put together he's the one that coined the term homo sapien uh, Carl Linnaeus, um, and he he put together the 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 different genus species. You know, this is the kind of the, these are 
this is this is what you're seeing when you look out at the the living world he organized it into the branches that we still use you know all of that he organized the human race into uh uh black yellow red and white um he invented the 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 idea of races uh races of humankind you know all, all of that so um and then uh jean-jacques rousseau who he's he said there's no one that did more to form my understanding than carl linnaeus jean-jacques rousseau's understanding of right and wrong and what a human is, is has been more influential than probably anyone um because even darwin huh even Darwin, because Darwin is ugly. Darwinism is ugly. Darwinism came along. He looked at Carl Linnaeus's um, his organization, and he gave a mechanism to how it came about. Right. And you know, Nietzsche said that once we have bought into the cosmology, and he's talking about Carl Linnaeus's cosmology. He's talking about the new um, the new um, astronomy. Uh, of his day and you know once we've bought into that cosmology he says all we have to do is give a plausible argument for where or a plausible a plausible story for where religion came from and people will become atheists themselves he says you never have to argue for atheism once you have gotten people to accept an atheist cosmology well jean-jacques rousseau actually gave a uh, Darwin's version is ugly, right? Darwin, um, Hitler's book was called Mein Kampf, My Struggle. And he, he dedicated, he, he looked at Darwin and he said, ah, it's survival of the fittest and went for it. And everybody was like, whoa, 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 we can't have that. That's ugly, right? Um, you know, power, power, power is that that you look like orcs at that point right right you, you look um and but jean-jacques rousseau came along and you know he gives this an uh, understanding of of linnaeus's philosophy um that looks attractive because it it makes you it's it's cool and it's um you know it, it's that the, the um, that you've got this kind of outsider that that comes along and he sees reality for what it really is and um, he's able to stare it down and and kind of live out the meaninglessness um, uh, and see the see that um, we are just living in a social con construct, right? So the whole idea of a social construct, um, social contract, you know, the whole thing that comes from Jean-Jacques Rousseau. He's the one who, who's, um, who gives us the, the language that we still use to talk about morality and society. And, you know, he, um, the, uh, he, he, that that's, this is the roots of nationalism. Um, you know, that we have decided together as a people uh, that that this is who we are and this is what we agree on and we are going to write a constitution. We are going to all agree on it together and we're going to create our create ourselves a people, create create ourselves into a people, create ourselves into a nation. And um, 
it was Jean-Jacques Rousseau is the one who gave the uh, the the flavor of uh, gave the, the and the and the language and the the basic um, metaphysical understanding that you could do that, that people could form themselves into a nation. Um, and there was some of that in America at the time, but it was really yeah. tempered because most of it, because most of them were Christians. Right. And so they were, so there were so many Christians there dealing in covenantal terms that um, yeah, the American was revolution yeah. was tempered. Um, but there was some of the, the, um, you know, self, self-governing is right in and of itself. Self-government is the right of a people. Um, democracy, we we right? can form, yeah, democracy, it, we can form ourselves into a nation and um, people, the, the government rules um, by the consent of the people, right? That sort of language. It's there, but because there's also the, the historical covenantal understanding um, of, of the common law system, um, of the relationship between the king and the people and the the because that's that's all there to temper it it doesn't really take over till you get you know to the civil war really so Whoa. i mean you you had other philosophers um helping form the idea uh uh dennis diderot he the and the encyclopedist movement in france was they were doing a lot to give it to make it look intelligent. Um, but Rousseau, I've taught my kids when they hear Jean-Jacques Rousseau's name to spit when they were little, you know, he's, he's the destroyer of Western civilization. He's, but, um, but the problem is he, you know, he comes wearing, he, he comes looking cool. Um, he comes looking like, you know, he, he was sort of the, uh, the Monty Python of, uh, of the French Revolution, he came beforehand just wanting to burn it all down because he literally said, "Society is the root of all evils. If you can just let individual give individuals the freedom to be themselves, then you will create paradise on earth." Which is um, completely opposite around because after the fall, the first thing that guy institutes is a government in order to be able to deal with right men who right. commit yeah. murder and right. So yeah, government he, governments are a, are a blessing. To restrict um, evil from men. To, res to restrict evil, yeah. And he's saying, no, society and the government's get in the way from men actually being free. It's interesting. Right. So then... Yeah, because the, because freedom is the ability to do what you want, right? That's his definition. And and, and society is always the limiting factor. Um, and so so kind of the... the Rousseauianism Rousseauianism really reaches its peak in somebody like Freud... Right where, um, right, where you give that scientific definition to what Rousseau just sort of felt and emoted, and how how does Rousseau and nationalism come together? Well, the idea that um, that a a people group can sort of get uh, define itself. Um, that's that's Jean-Jacques Rousseau. So uh, the idea that the nation uh, um, that that the that uh, so that the 
French people um, should have an official language group and that you should have to, everyone should have to assimilate into a particular language usage to be a part of the group uh, that, that there are official, um, you know, official traditions, that sort of thing that make you French and that, um, th that French identity is the thing that holds us together. That's all comes out of the French revolution and um, the, that new cosmology, that new enlightenment cosmology. So um, that, that that's somehow a real, uh, a, a real thing that, you know, you, you have to, that should be preserved by order of, you know, but by, by coercive power or something like that. Right. So, um, you, well, you have it so happen and you, but you have it happening other places as well. Cause it ends up happening in Italy. It ends up happening in Germany. Um, and, and it, it goes, it goes wrong in other places as well. But Jean-Jacques Rousseau just gets there first. <laughs> so, but so the defining, this is going to be interesting. The defining marker from, Rousseau ultimately is that a nation is defined by its language, by its, yeah, it's, um, its language, its, its traditions, and and its traditions. and that, um, and that you know if that 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 um, you know you they should stay separate, they should stay pure, you know that those sorts of things, um, they should because they're they're a particular branch of the human race, you know, um. And so is it is that not is that not true? I mean, when I think about Israel, you have Israel that is a nation. Um, they're marked off by circumcision. They they're uh, they have their own language. They have their own customs. They have their own traditions. Right. And if you're going to be a part of Israel, you're going to have to do all the things that it takes to be an Israelite. Yeah. Well, God was making was keeping them pure because he had made promises about their genealogy they had genealogical promises from abraham once those things are fulfilled though paul immediately starts saying these are no big thing anymore right so that the customs the traditions um right that those were so the the food laws um that forced them to stay separate the um the tracking of the genealogies the purity laws of the, the surrounding genealogies those were that was what it looked like to believe that Abraham had a genealogical promise coming that would eventually lead to the Messiah. So let me push back a little bit on that because okay. this is interesting. <laughs> this is going to be interesting. Oh my goodness, <laughs> this is going to be interesting. Um, if I was going to respond, I would say, yeah, Paul is talking about that as in a salvific way, but he's not speaking about how that defines them as a nation necessarily, right? So what Paul's talking about. <laughs> is, well, salvifically, people can come now and don't have to identify that way in order to be saved um, to preserve that. But if, if it's as a, we're talking about Israel as a nation, those are things that have been a part of them and their custom and tradition since their founding with Abraham. Those things aren't put away from their customs as a part of who they are. Some things maybe are as far as like, um, sacrifice and stuff, right? Like those are things, but there's a, other customs that go along with that that make them who they are. Right. Well, and and 
which is why Paul says, hey, you know, you want to keep one calendar. They want to keep one calendar. You want to keep one Sunday. You want to keep Saturday. Go for it. Right. He, I, he, Paul doesn't say you don't you don't have to. Um, you you have to eat a certain way. You, he just says you can't judge one another. Right. That, I mean, that there's right, no right, right. that there's not there's not rivalry between, you know, that food, this food. Um he says you can't strangle animals. Uh, he, he, he says you know, refrain from sexual immorality, refrain from abusing your food um, and strangling it, thinking that you're getting some sort of extra life um, out of it by uh, taking the life of your animal um, in a, you know, strangling it. Um, Same basic says, Levitical but, stuff. Right. Yeah. Well, there's four laws in Leviticus that aren't the, that apply to everyone and not just um, the Israelites. And those are the four laws that they list at um, after in Acts, Acts 15. So it's, yeah, here's what God applies what to everyone. Doing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, don't drink blood. Don't strangle your animals, refrain from sexual immorality. Right. So, so there are things that are, that are universal. And then there are things that were there to set the Israelites apart and protect the genealogy um, because it, because there was a genealogical promise given to Abraham, right? So they were, um, but that he, they protect the, the Davidic line, right? The genealogy of the Davidic line, um, all the other genealogies after, I mean, Ezekiel prophesies that, um, that they'll all be knit together and forgotten. And you, you know, you lose who's the, who the only prince that they still know after the exile is the prince of Judah. They've lost who's the prince of, because there was, there was a prince of Judah, but there was also you know, a prince of, prince of Benjamin, a, a prince of uh, the, the only one that didn't have a princely line was Leviticus, but that was because they had a high priest, their high, high priest, priestly yeah. line. So, um, and the, you, the separation of powers between the religious authorities and the civil authorities is something that comes out of Genesis or, or that comes out of the, the, the Pentateuch. So, um, that's a, that's, you don't get that really anywhere else outside of the Bible separating the powers and they're eventually recombined in Jesus and then reseparated. But, um, cause you had them combined in Adam recombined in the new Adam and then re-separated for wisdom's sake but you have this entire um you know all all of the all of the the tribes of genesis uh, uh of abraham the the tribes uh, of the abrahamic people all disappear except for judah and the levites um they're all and ezekiel says Here's one of the blessings that's going to come. You're, you're going to be combined back together. So that because you have the ten tribes that go off to yeah uh, to Assyria, and then the other tribes that go to Babylon after the exile, because Assyria is conquered by Babylon, and then when they're returned um, from exile in Ezra and Nehemiah, all of that uh, all of that tribal um, layering of jurisdictions goes away. So um, you know that Paul is a Benjamite, but you don't know who's the prince of Benjamin, 
it's it's a gone away who are the elders of benjamin and you know that all that goes away and that's that's fine that's just that god is is doing something different keeping the keeping each tribe pure was not his concern and once jesus um comes then that promise is fulfilled and so so it's it's interesting because i'm just gonna rip the band-aid off now uh so then because it's interesting right now um nationalism is a big thing and it's been a big thing but it's really coming back it's coming back with a lot of fervor uh and particularly christian nationalism what's what's scaring the left to death um I've, i've you know it's funny to see how much they've pushed. Actually, I think they might have pushed it first, and then Christian mm-hmm. nationalism has come out and um, and started championing the title uh, in one way or another. Because uh, it's not something I remember hearing um, years ago. In like, George Bush was running, I don't remember anybody claiming no, to be a Christian nationalist. Nationalism, yeah. No, 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 no. But it's it's resurrected itself. But have, has it? I think people are. Well, let me just ask, is it resurrecting itself under Rousseau or under uh, an Israelite Old Testament biblical perspective? Or is, from what you're saying, it sounds like there is no nationalistic biblical perspective or is, I, I don't even know here. I'm so confused. What, <laughs> what yeah, is? I mean, I think our, our understanding, I, I don't think, I think nationalism was formed um, in in the vacuum of the the vacuum of a post Christendom West, so from Charlotte from eight from Christmas Day of eight hundred, um, when you had the Holy Roman Emperor crowned, to eighteen oh six when the Holy Roman Emperor fell, um, you had you had a um, balance of powers between a Christian international government and internationalism, and um, then the kings and nations and republics and you know all the different kinds of governments that you had in Europe, which was a mishmash of all different kinds of governments. They were held together by Christendom, by the the Holy Roman Emperor, the Holy Roman Empire, and the relationship to it and the different, you had different, different Christian empires and emperors. And, but you had this understanding that the church held us together. And then there was a, um, a series of, of layered jurisdictions that held us, that also held us together. So the identity um, was you, you had a a multi-layered identity that went from your family to your your parish church, you know, and then ecclesiastically, you know, up up to the Pope in the West, up to your patriarch in the East, um, and then you had uh, governmentally, you had your you, you you had your local government, your city, your um, and then you know, depending the landowner, the uh, the um, the diff- there was all different kinds of all different kinds of authorities and they were all layered on top of one another and past one another and it, it, so when you so what somebody wouldn't say i'm dutch or i'm spanish 
right? Their their language group wouldn't be the thing that gave them um, their identity. Once, um, because it was a series of overlapping covenants that gave you your identity with your baptism being at the heart of it, right? Your, um, and the, the, um, so you, you might be a serf in, um, a particular Lord's, um, house and that, but then that Lord, he was devoted to a particular King, um, but and he could change which king he was devoted to if if the if he needed to, but it was a covenantal personal covenantal relationship. Um, what what Linnaeus did in reorganizing the human race around what you could see, um, you know, see and hear and and touch, um, is he really actually um, dislodged us from our identity and um and then they reorganized it around language group or they reorganized it around a later around skin color or they reorganized it around uh-huh. s- something phenomenological right something uh- that you that that was no it was no longer a matter of faith and i'm not talking just faith in god right but faith faithfulness to a covenant vow faithfulness to or the covenant vow of your parents or your grandparents or seven generations earlier a covenant vow that was made um it was no longer a matter of faith it was now a matter of sight and and nationalism grows up out of that right um it grows up out of an understanding that what is it that holds me to my neighbor well we speak the same language we speak the same or we have the same skin color or we have the same uh, traditions or something like that, right? So something that you could see or touch or taste, those were the things that held us together rather than faithfulness to covenants. That's that interesting. Are so, so I got it. So, so when you say our identity, you know, changed, our identity was marked out by the covenants and the oaths in which we made with others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was how a our whole identity- series of oaths, right? And so, and, and, oaths, not, and, but it wasn't just our oaths, right? It could be oaths that our ancestors others. made, right? So, so that's covenantal, though. Right? Covenantal, right? So it's a, that, and that is something. Um, and so you, you have people that would say, well, you know, my, my ancestors were conquered by Charlemagne and became Christians. And so I am upholding that oath. Um, Cause they swore oath to Charlemagne. Cause yeah, they, they swore an oath to Christ because Christ or because Charlemagne had sworn an oath to Christ. And so, and he was their new King. Right. And they took that stuff seriously. Right. So they would, so they believed in Jesus because they'd been saved from paganism by Charlemagne's sword. Right. Um, the, you have, um, that's fascinating. It was a connection. Like we, it was a connection to history. They had been reinserted into history by Jesus, by their baptism. They had been inserted into a particular story. Um, and so you didn't look around and say, who looks like me? Who sounds like me? Who eats food like me? That's who I must be. That, you know, um, that, that gives me an identity. You just, that's not, it's just a, it's a, an enlightenment way of thinking of defining nationalism is nationalism Nationalism is. is. Yeah. 
how is an enlightened way? How because does- it's it 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 is based. It's a it's a phenomenological ordering of society, and what I mean by that is it's ordered according to um, what you see, what you sense, what 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 you sense with your senses, your five senses, right? So it um it's a way of trying to um trying to get a definition of who you are get a definition of reality through your senses but what happens though when you put when you take that and you put um a christianity over the top of it and say okay we are an american group of people who um in this country have decided that we're going to serve the lord jesus christ uh, we want to acknowledge that. We want to uphold that tradition and that reality. That's not anything that's shaped around what we see necessarily, but because we are Christians. It's and so you you um you Christianize it. You put the yeah. marker, you yeah. change the marker of identity from it. Right. Well, we're supposed to disciple the nations though, right? So that means <laughs> We Shut go up, to Jason. them and <laughs> Shut up, Jason. Sorry. You're trying to be nice so with we... me. <laughs> yeah, I am. But like we go we go to them and we say, you know, empiricism isn't actually the right way to make this definition, right? This is a covenantal. So we teach them, right? We don't let the so so if uh, and I mean and maybe <laughs> what we do is we end up taking taking the word and and redefining it i i mean maybe maybe that's what we end up doing but i mean i think that it's our job to disciple them not not to uh to pick sides in their in the world's battle i guess i don't know so (laughs) i I guess maybe there's still so much still on this nationalistic side when i um what how does a nation then define itself what is what is a nation how should a nation think of itself because the way that you're talking about rousseau and even the way that i think we are taught about american history i think you're right if it wasn't for christianity rousseau's concept would be far more but rousseau's concept looks like a form of covenantal parallel like it looks like it parallels the idea of covenantal you know, thinking it, so it, they can kind of go together in some sense. So I guess you had to define like well, what is it? What is a nation supposed to be, and how does it define its markers and borders and who it is? Well, so the, so those are historical questions, right? So, so oh. what Rousseau wanted to do is bring all the French people together, all the people that spoke French. Well, that problem is that's not where the political borders were. The that's not where the legal boundaries were. It wasn't, a, and so. They had to kill a lot of lords in order to bring the French people into a French, into French, their Frenchness, mm. right? To bring, to make them French because oh, there was, so, oh, so that's what they did is they killed a lot of people. At one point during the French revolution, a third of Paris was in jail, right? Like they were, it it, it was crazy. The amount of bloodshed that it took because they weren't to, French. Uh, no, because they wouldn't go along with the with the program, right? So, um, the the 
you know what I mean by that? Like, so because if they're defining and they want to bring the French people together and you're not, you know, well, no, that's not how we're going to define this. And you're like, you know, well, then you ain't French. And then you just take them in. Right. That's, kind, that's kind, exactly kind, what it is. Kind of how black people put black people in jail. Well, you ain't black then if you don't like chickens. Yeah, right. It's like, well, lock right. me up. I'm not eating them. <laughs> but it, it's not happening. Uh, I think it's closer to what um, what when Biden was running and he said, if you don't vote for me, you're not black. Right. It's closer to that where he's like, you get get along, get in line with the political program. I still can't believe he got away with that. I do. I, I can't believe that he got away with that, but that's a whole nother that, thing. Can that, I just speak to that just really quick that you have to understand how weak of a mind you have to have for someone to say that, you know, and I think there's two things. I think that there's a bunch of people who like, I really don't want to be considered not black. There's another group of right. people who are like, we really do hate Trump that much. I just, I just don't <laughs> care that he said what he said. We just hate Trump that much. But, but <laughs> I, when did that shift happen? Because I don't remember Trump being that hated. I mean, he was, he was in home alone. Like, Trump Trump was in home alone. He was it, this that's a whole nother issue. But that's a, no no, it's right to the point though. The demo, defining marker of what I think the nationalistic idea has not just been something that's a push on the right but on the left. And so everybody is defining nation and saying you're not in then. Right? Oh, you are in here and you're not in the, Okay, now you're not in. It's the same thing that's happening in, with with what you're talking about with France, right? It's just that we haven't gotten to the point yet where, well, actually, they've gotten to the point with Trump where they're saying, you're out. You don't deserve right. to be in power. We want yeah. you arrested. Well, we want you in jail. We want you it's arrested, there. yeah. And you that's, know? I mean, the, the, so I, I think the, the, the attraction of nationalism is that internationalism is – we we think of internationalism as the option and internationalism is you you know you're picking between international communism and international uh your world economic forum great reset type of internationalism if those are the options then um nationalism gives you time to work out something <laughs> But it's only going to give you a generation because historically speaking, so to fight against the to fight against globalism, like the globalism, right? So World Economic Forum globalism, uh, you know, it it, it, if so, nationalism is a co belligerent with that stuff, right? Because that's that's bad stuff. Um, That is soul crushing, human destroying, child robbing um, stuff. Right. And when when nationalism comes along and says, hey, let's fight that together, um, that I, I get why people say, OK, yeah, we got to We got to fight that. So and nationalism is a co-belligerent. It's not a long term co-belligerency, though. And that's that's what history teaches. Nationalism lasts a generation. Right. Nationalism is not a long term solution so uh there's a reason that within um that napoleon came into france within a generation right you uh nationalism uh nationalism has always ended up creating a chaos 
that is then put down by uh, a tyrant. This would always ends up happening. And so, um, you know, Napoleon came in and he said, okay, I get, I get it, but you guys have all failed. We're going to create a French empire. And he was a, a tyrant. Now he was well loved um, early on. Um, and he's that's what makes him <laughs> complex right is he came into the the revolution the the bloody the 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 blood in the streets revolution um that nationalism melted down into and had to uh and ended it by force and everyone was grateful the problem is then he turned and started trying to conquer the world and make it all french you had the same thing with russia um the russian nationalism um, ends up becoming the USSR. You have the same thing with German nationalism, which ends up sparking World War II when um, when Hitler starts trying to you know conquer France, conquer conquer Europe. So, but uh, nationalism is a is an attractive co belligerent in the moment. But shouldn't nationalism, for what it's trying to do, be? completely opposed to everything that's inside of globalism yes should that's what i'm saying is it is but ideologically we we look at it and say okay there's a good co-belligerent it doesn't it is not an ideology that historically stays in place i see what you're saying a co-belligerent for for us not a co-belligerent for yeah i got you okay yeah yeah so yeah so then um because we are looking for something that's just as big as the globalist monster or that's just as powerful as the globalist monster to be able to fight it instead because, of because it because there's a um so in Christendom there's there's already an emperor in place Jesus when we, we were created to have an emperor and so if Jesus isn't there, if Jesus isn't in place in our imaginations, we'll hunt one down. We'll push somebody else up into it. It never will last um, because there's, there's already somebody in, in, on the Im- imperial throne. There, we've already got a king of kings and a lord of lords. But when, um, when the, a human, when, a, when, a, when you have... Um, ideologies in which jesus isn't the emperor we're going to try and create one we're trying to make one try and push somebody into that spot it's it's just human nature so this is why when we're talking about our moral imaginations our moral imagination does not have christ as the emperor of the world right now and so because of that this, I've actually heard, I think Todd Free, I can remember him saying it almost. Uh, I have to go find the clip somewhere where he, this is a long, long time ago, where Christ isn't ruling earth right now, isn't ruling the, you know, mm-hmm. he's not here ruling, the, the devil is, he's ruling. Right. And if you have that kind of mindset about the world, then the world has to completely be destroyed and you got to pick your your emperor to fight for you until whenever that happens. And you, yeah, you, you, you got to find an emperor that can, that, that can hold back the chaos. Right, because there's, um, because you you're gonna have chaos, and so you're trying to gather enough power to to hold back the chaos. But if Jesus so, is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and He is 
in the process of regardening the world because it, uh, he's the new Adam or he's the Adam, he's the em, uh, gardener emperor. And then you don't have to gather up enough power to hold back the chaos. You just have to be faithful to Jesus because he's, he's doing that. Right. It, hold on one second. Hold on one second. This is this is absolutely intriguing to me because now my my daughter was here and she was outside waiting. That <laughs> oh great, open the door. So if can Christian nationalism and Emperor Jesus can they are they the same? They're not not the same. Same that same. How how are we doing I that? Th so I think that <laughs> I mean that. I think that's what the Christian nationalists are trying to do. I don't, I don't know if you can, if the word is redeemable, because I think the word has a particular definition and it, it, it has a, a metaphysic. It has a cosmology embedded in it already. Um, can you, oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay. Hold up. Don't forget what you're about to say. If you got to write it down, whatever you got to do, okay. but you got to talk about what is the metaphysic? What is the cosmology of it that is fighting against what they're trying to do? So I, I think the so the cosmology um, that's embedded in nationalism um, is that uh, we are a uh, that that the world is such a place that we we are the ones that organize it into its meaning, right? So that the meaning comes from the self-organization. Uh, that that people bring to it, I I believe that cosmology is embedded in the word already. Right, so that, that's so, that's what that's what you're talking about when you're saying it's enlightenment. The idea, yeah, of mm. right. So guys like uh, Diderot and Rousseau and um, uh, Hegel and and uh, that that you that that's their understanding, right? Is that the subject, the sub as subjects, we add meaning to the world either by organizing it um, or by naming it, identifying it. Right, that it doesn't have the me that the meaning within itself. Um, I, and I mean, I I think that's that's what's in the egg, and so it's going to hatch eventually, right? So you can you can stick a lizard egg under a chicken, but you're going to get a lizard. <laughs> When it hatches, uh -uh, I think, uh -uh. so I, I think that's what Christian nationalism is. <laughs> uh, so, but, but, but like I said, like, I, I don't, I think, I, 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 I think that they, that most of the Christian nationalists, I think that they think, well, no, I, we, we can, we can reclaim this and redeem it. And maybe they're right. I, I mean, I might be wrong. Um, I think historically speaking, nationalism lasts a generation and brings about more internationalism. Be, um, and I, I, I think that nationalism is a, is an empir, uh, empiricist definition 
it brings an empiricist definition of humanity with it, right? But we're not empiricists. We don't get our definitions by sight. We get our definitions by the word of God, by covenant, by its relation, by a thing's relationship to Jesus. So that, I mean, that's, that's my take is I, I haven't dug in and thought about it as much as maybe I should, but that's kind of my... I'm a theonomist. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if I've ever told anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's kind of that's how I. And I'm a good. I, I'm not like one of those crazy theonomists. I'm a good theonomist. I I'm fine. <laughs> what every people says. No, no, no. For real. I, I don't know if you find a cooler theonomist <laughs> than me. It's it's nearly impossible, because um, but I'm pretty hardcore on it. So right. when when I see uh this kind of new thing with Christian nationalism, I like. I really do like um you can just bring my water babe. Uh, I really do like uh what they're trying to do. Like I really do like what they're trying to do. I think what they're trying to do is say, you know what? We are we want to honor our heritage and where we come from. We we we're in a, we're Americans. We um have come a long way. God has blessed us uh, in that process. And we don't want to forget God in what we've done. We only have the nation that we have because of God and honoring God in the things that we've done. And we see a whole nother group trying to come through and remove the foundations that have made this country what it is. This country is only what it is because of the Christian foundation that was here, as imperfect as it was, we've never seen anything else in history have this type of fruitfulness. And we are the culmination of not just what our forefathers of American forefathers, but a tradition that goes back even before that. <clears throat> and we don't want to lose that Christian heritage, Western European tradition. I mean, I mean, come on, it's it's been a blessing to the world like none other. Um, and so the uh, what we see coming is this type of blurring, mixing, diluting of that tradition in order to, just like fat does the muscles, to separate it so that it has no strength. And the ideas that we see coming are nation destroying because of how it gets into the details and then moves out all the muscle, all the Christianity, all the foundations of our heritage. And so what we want to do is say, no, we have the foundations of a Christian nation. This is what has cultivated us. This is what has made us. This is the tradition, the people that we've come from. Uh, this is our heritage. And you and, yeah. and we want to keep that. That's what I think yeah. that and, and we want to keep promoting that, and we don't want to be ashamed of that in any kind of way. And so that's what I really believe that when people are pushing the idea of Christian nationalism or nationalism as a Christian side of it, that's what they're trying to hold to at the end of the day because they they're they're seeing the they're seeing the attack, and they're saying, "Wait a second, if we don't do anything, that we won't have the heritage that we grew up with at all." Yeah, right. And it's all filthy rags, though. That's the problem. Well, look at you. See, see what you did. I mean, it, it is. I mean, I think we need to repent of our righteousness. Wait, are because... you calling us the new Pharisees? That's that's kind of like calling us a new Pharisee. 
Oh, Jason. Jason. But I really. <laughs> but what I was think bad it, about what I just said? It's that it's right. I mean, in any righteousness that isn't that isn't Christ's righteousness, I think. No, I, bet I built it off of a Christian more dangerous. <laughs> but that's the thing is, if if we um, it, if we look at it and we say this thing is rotten, right? We the foundations are rotten. Thing thing the rot has gotten in. And we say anything other than Lord forgive us, we're in trouble, right? And what I inevitably end up hearing is people saying, they're the ones doing it to us, Lord. They're the ones doing it to us. That's not repentance. That's not the way out of this mess, right? The way out of this, dead things... Oh, Jason. Living things don't rot. You just made me think of something. Western civilization's rotting because, but it's rotting. You, it's, it's not rotting because of what somebody else has done. Right. It's rotting. And I, and it is rotting and I love Western civilization and I teach it and I, and I defend it and I try it, but it's rotting. And the way out of that, what we need is resurrection because we've got a corpse on our hands, right? And the the way through has got to be repentance. And so, if if instead so we it, instead we of a clutching defend, for it, mm-hmm, I think so. I mean, I think it's the um, and and mm. and I'm somebody that wants. I mean, I, my kids talk to each other in Latin around the tables, you know, so that their, their parents can't understand. Like, I, I this is I I studied. Anglo-Saxon and and uh, ha- and defend this is, this the, my you know like I I love Western civilization that's this is not this has nothing to do with that but it's because I love it that I want to be able to say Lord we're covered in filthy rags I do not want to defend myself I want to be raised from the dead I don't want Western civilization to keep defending itself I want it to be raised from the dead you know that comes from repentance. Uh, I've been going through Doug's book on federal husband. I hate it. Mm-hmm, yeah, that's, that's I like hate a, it. It's like why you keep stabbing me in the back. It's it's <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> it's it's the kind of stuff. If you want to get, if you want to be made well, that's the book you read. Mm-hmm. Right? Seriously, it's the and you know why he, it, the way that he deals with responsibility changes the way that you handle all of your problems that you're facing mm-hmm. when before i've um and i've been here now eight years i've been working through a lot of things that have um enlightenment stuff and bad doctrine and a bad uh upbringing and home life just so grateful what god gave me and fix it lord at the same time you know yeah. <laughs> like, um right but one of the things that has been a massive turning point is that when you take responsibility for your home, when you take responsibility for your family and for your sons and for your daughters, you don't then try to um, fix them. What you end up doing is taking responsibility and said, all right, Lord, I failed in this. 
um, right. help me to do that. You know, and, and then so you take full responsibility of the situation and then your response to it is different. And so what it sounds like that I'm hearing from you is that the the nationalistic, the Christian nationalist movement has made the other folks the reason why we're failing instead yeah. of saying um, we're failing because we've forgotten who God is and have neglected to raise our kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that God has commanded right. them to do. And I mean, so that because of that, we have been overrun by wickedness and other nations that are seeking to conquer us because, and so because of that, we should say, Oh Lord, we've sinned. We failed. We're the yeah. ones responsible for the fall and collapse of Western society. Right. And I, I think what's so it, what it's ironic to watch all of the fight going on right now over libraries, what's in the libraries, what's not in the libraries in an illiterate society, right? We, we, we're not, we're less we're more concerned about what books about keeping certain books out of our libraries than we are about getting the best works of the of literature and western civilization into the hearts of our children right it's it's hard to watch um none of those books are dangerous you know why cuz nobody reads it doesn't matter what books you put in the library nobody's there right so um we, if if we had a society that was full to the brim with people that really, really, you know, loved the best and greatest poetry, then you you put a, a the let me tell you about growing up trans poet poet book in the library, and nobody's going to care because it's like, well, why would I pick that when I've got this beautiful book over here, right? But the but I think one of the reasons that we uh, care so much is because we're not producing literature that can compete. We're not telling stories that compete. We're not writing poetry that can compete. And so we, the only thing that we can do is coercively control what goes into the library because we can't, uh, because we're not winning the war of actually telling the most beautiful stories. So now that you've made all the Baptists mad, you go and make. Did I? I'm not trying to. Mad. I love my Baptist friends, and <laughs> nationalism is Presbyterian's fault, right? Nationalism <laughs> is secularized. Is secularized Presbyterianism, 100. <laughs> percent right? That's not the Baptist's fault. <laughs> you can tell my all my Baptist cousin pastors. It's not their fault. Now this we're gonna our, have. This is our fault. Now we're Somebody gonna have clip to have... that and share it as far sure and that wide is. as the Baptist. That's the what I said about Baptists. Uh. <laughs> Wait, are you serious though? You consider it a Presbyterian problem? Oh like, yeah, this, totally, this was solely our fault. So you secularize Presbyterianism, you get nationalism. Because uh, I mean, Presbyterians were the. It was our idea to try and put together a confession for all the English-speaking churches. So national nationalism is is a secularized Presbyterianism. So how? how I mean, because uh, uh, now now you just made Baptists mad too. Because if you got Baptists who are <laughs> Christian nationalists, they're like, wait a second, wait a I'm second, I'm responsible for both yeah. sides yeah. of this now. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I I mean I I, I think um, 
so you know rather than I, I so I, I subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith by oath um both as a ruling elder and in my ordination as a ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church um so I love the system of doctrine of the Westminster Confession and um the uh, I, but the uh um the the and I I think the the original intent of getting together and have it and writing a confession um, to try and sort through some of these things I think was was a a good idea it it had to happen because you had um, the the meltdown of Christendom happening around you so um, the it the nationalism was a way of saying are the legal boundaries um your legal boundaries stop at the be here and instead the legal boundaries are here because of the language that's spoken um they're and they're trying to so you've got so here's a good example so the arguments they had they had to have a legal argument on whether or not you could have an english translation of the bible because it had been declared illegal to translate it everywhere where the bishops of the roman church were had jurisdiction well they got together and they had they put together a legal argument um on english soil that you could translate it into english because Ethelbert's Psalter, King Ethelbert's Psalter, so the 700s, um, had a Anglo-Saxon, an Old English, an English translation of the Apostles' Creed uh, written into the front, probably in the king's hand, right? So the king had translated um, the Apostles' Creed into English for use in English churches. The, they had uh, a translation of the book of Genesis in in English that was in circulation in Ethelbert's day. Um, and uh, as well as uh, certain Psalms, as well as the, uh, the, a, a number of different stories from the new Testament. They had a, a, a version of, uh, Oh, what do they call it? When they take all the, the gospels um, and put them together into a single story, they had that translated into English for use in the English churches in the eighth century. A Gideon um, Bible. And... <laughs> no, it's a, uh... <laughs> Oh man. I, I wish I could think of what it's called. Uh, a harmony of the gospels, right? Okay, so they, yeah, they had a, yeah. a harmony of the gospels that was in use in English um, in the eighth and ninth century. So before they, that they ended up switching over to a um, the worshiping in Latin eventually, but they argued that before um, that happened, it was they were worshiping in English. They had English translations of the Bible, so that it should be legal on English soil to have English translations of the Bible, and that the um, that the Bishop of Rome was overstepping his legal jurisdiction. Um, that that uh, argument continued in um, into the arguments about whether or not you should have uh, bishops or Presbyterians uh, because the Celtic church was organized along Presbyterian lines. Uh, Cunningham makes an argument that the early church uh, and that the early English church was org organized before the Roman um, 
before the Roman, uh, the Bishop of Rome, Gregory the Great, sent a missionary to England um, that you you actually had um, the church organized along Presbyterian lines, right? So, uh, and so the arguments were all the English speaking church organized itself this way, right? On English soil. Um, So nationalism um, is, it, it, it ends up growing out of these arguments over against the overreach of the Pope. Um, So the Pope tries to hold together uh, and the, the, the autumn, the Holy Roman empire emperor, they try to hold Christendom together um, by making different, different concessions. And, but you end up with the 30 years war between um, it it was not just between Roman Catholics and uh, Roman Catholics and Protestants. It was between the papal authorities and the Roman and the Holy Roman empire and national authorities that wanted um, to be able to organize themselves along national lines. And some of the people that fought against the Pope were, were Roman Catholics, right? So you had French troops, um, German troops, English troops. uh, They were Dutch troops that joined together to fight against the overreach of the Roman Catholic church. Um, The Presbyterians were the ones that, gave a theological historical legal argument to the the nation state being um older and more uh, the organized around um linguistic lines so when that gets secularized um what do you mean by secularized when when they try to separate those realities oh. from jesus ah. um, what they do is they they end up saying um with with the new secular cosmology they end up saying what where do you what's the organization around then uh, language language nation okay. um yeah. uh the the or um and so so that's so you get things like you know there was a bunch of different dialects of french but then Parisian French French becomes the national dialect and everybody has to use it. There's a bunch of different dialects of of uh Italian, but then Dante's Italian becomes the official Florentine Italian uh, uh becomes the official dialect uh under uh I think just be- shortly before Mussolini, right? So you get these these um nationalist movements that really are secularizing some of the arguments that are being made by um, the English church at the time and the German church as well, because they're trying to figure out how to be split between the Lutheran and the Roman Catholic church. Um, in, and they, so, so you end up um, having in the late 1800s, finally somebody that, combines all the german speaking areas together well he was a protestant right he was a he was a coming out of the reformed german tradition so so nationalism's on us not on the baptists <laughs> they wanted to organize everything around ideas and 
You just bit your tongue. <laughs> um, and such. <laughs> so, so is there a way to not secularize nationalism? Or is there a way not to secularize the Presbyterian idea so that it works? I mean, I, I, I do think that you had, um, uh, so under, I, I think that you could have some sort of international Christendom that's organized, um, you know, around conciliarists. The conciliarists argued for it. Dante actually argued for a version of um, conciliarism um, that's never really been tried. Um, but I, I, I like his conciliarism so that um you have uh that instead of having so he he didn't like the infallibility of the pope or the pope over he he wanted the the bishops to be um all equals and then they gathered together and made decisions um in a a general assembly like a presbytery Um, yeah like a presbytery (laughs) but he it was still it was it was still they sent bishops instead of sending Elders. Um, elders, right? So you, uh, so you have you have different versions of that. E- Eastern Orthodoxy um, has um, something close to that, closer to that. Although it, um, I think, falls into something similar to uh, what the Pope ended up falling into um, with its patriarchates. Uh, but but they have. Um, uh, but that's that's mostly because of not everybody staying in as good of fellowship as they should have. So it's not it's not um, a theological. It wasn't a theological political decision as much as it was. Um, There's just some of the patriarchates that had difficulty staying in fellowship well. But but I I, I think it's possible to have um, to to have a non secularized uh, international Christendom that uh he, that um has room for the different churches with within different language groups and within different areas to be self-organized and then responsible to one another i think so there is i think that's kind of, i think north would kind of fall into that would agree with that actually because there was a the way that he talks about that there's a church is the only thing without borders Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, but he know, and and he was uh, Anglican, and so I, I think the Anglican who was church has North wasn't he Anglican? Gary North? I thought he was Presbyterian. Oh my! All this yeah, time I, mean, I thought well, he was Anglican. I could be wrong, but I'm. I'm I don't know. I'm, <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, you're you're much more likely to be right about him. I just always I think I just always assumed he was Anglican. Maybe I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know I, how I, I feel about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think he was Presbyterian. <laughs> okay. I, I could be wrong, but I th- I'm pretty no, sure I, he was Presbyterian. I I thought that the theonomic movement because wasn't Ray Sutton uh, Anglican? I thought that came I think he Anglican. went Anglican at some point. Yeah, I think oh, he went Anglican. But I don't okay. think he was. I, I I did not know. I, I I just I am not the guy to ask about anything that's happened in the last hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta, yeah, I, you gotta get older than that for me. I, <laughs> to I don't know about, so then, so it, our 
uh, man, we might have to do it some more on this because there's something underneath. So I've really never liked the, the, the Christian nationalism thing is the, my reason for not liking the Christian nationalism thing yet. And I know uh, most of the people who I agree with are more leaning into that. And I bond with them and I'll bind my steel with them all day long. Yeah, That's yeah. not even the, uh, my problem has always been that it's something that it feels like the other side has given to us to yeah. put on our front of our stuff and to march around with is like, yes, we are. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't like the way that they're, doing that so i want to avoid that while embracing what i think is being meant by people who are holding to this which is a some sort of um sovereignty of god and uh emperor of christ over all things that's what i'm talking yeah. about that's why i like christian intergalacticism right that's yeah i, I yeah. love that right it's, it's so that there's nationalism no is, is our n-word is that okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, it it no, I don't. No, man, I don't. I, I give me some time to process that. That might. No, no, the left gave it to us to say, so I don't think so. <laughs> you know, although I think though it is the word that I think many people there are people mean different things by it. I'm watching people trying to work out what it means and and the ideas uh, that are behind it. Um, I don't know if it's been completely settled yet. That's why I was yeah. asking, like, what is like nationalism? What is it? I think people are trying to work it out because here's another thing is that people don't have an identity anymore because of, right. and this is yeah. why I think your responsibility stuff is important. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I think that's, that's at the heart of a lot of this is we, we're people that are detached from reality. We don't have an identity. Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Right. And so, um, Wow. nationalism comes along and it offers i i think it it's trying to offer a real connection right here's your people here's your you know and um here's your traditions here's here's who you are and i i remember when nationalism was still powerful when i was young because i mean i remember people i i think i've mentioned this story before but when we're at my second grade choir singing um proud to be an american and all the people <laughs> crying in the yeah. in the mullen road auditorium right i yeah, I, I, I have that, that memory um yeah and being um i mean i just i i i was just listening to somebody tell the story of the moon landing and it brought me to tears um it patriotic tears right that that was america that did that right the that yeah. it was it, it's an amazing story and it, um and we should it we should there needs to be room for patriotism within our christianity right um it, it, with well-ordered loves patriotism is a high uh is a love of our of our you know being patriotic is a high um virtue uh, and and this is this is one of those things that when I first read Dante, it really challenged me because um, Dante puts uh, the the unpatriotic way down in in hell. Um, mm. And and at the time, I was like, man, that's so medieval. And now I think, no, that's really true. But the question is patriotic to what am i patriotic to an ideal or am i patriotic to a covenantal reality right mm. and america is a america is a covenantal reality 
Um, but so is my county. My county is a covenantal reality. My state is a covenantal reality. My city is a covenantal reality. My family is a covenantal reality. Um, so the uh, hold on, it's, let me ask a, a question because he puts the he puts the unpatriotic with the oath breakers, and we I don't think that we would think of um, right. I that's not where that's a different understanding of our of our citizenship maybe because <clears throat> we're not just simply citizens of the world or something that's that's the error the other direction right we're we're citizens of particular covenants and 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 this is what you were talking about when you started this and those covenants have historical backdrop to them right and historical they're, they're, they're realities, layered yeah historically yeah. that are layered multi-layered this is i don't know how you don't this is uh man this is gonna get me in trouble but this is why only presbyterianism really makes sense covenantally <laughs> it, but, but well, and you know why because here otherwise you you're you're you create a world where your kids come into it and aren't tied to anything ultimately right there isn't I, yeah you, you see what we, i'm saying we, your you kids mean come infant, into infant baptism? Is that what you mean? Yeah, by Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Presbyterian, yeah. yeah, infant baptism, because your you your kids come into this world with commitments already to right. the God of their parents, right? The county that they're in, the shared mm-hmm. they're, uh, the you know the, the country they're, that they're in. They're born with covenant realities already intertwined because of the covenant of their father. Right. And if you but if you try to it, the the only way to secularize all of those realities is biology. Right. So that's why you get skin color being so important. Right. It's get, because it's a biological reality in which I can I can say who which people are mine. Right. Well, I have if it has to be something that I can see or touch or you know identify um, with my senses, then skin color becomes the easy thing, right? So that's how, those are those are my people, right? So um, and that's what I mean r- that racism is a it's an attempt to to have a secular version of Presbyterianism in America, um, you know. If uh, interesting. So, but that does because you're looking because you're because you're assuming there's a there is a historical covenantal connection, right? That's got to be there. But if you take it, if it's not something that's by faith, if it's got to be something by sight, then it becomes racism. Do those do, do those realities of what I see still a part of um a part of the, the the deal of of so uh i'm trying to figure out how you said that because that because uh there is a tie there right from the, bi- the the biological tie you mean yeah yeah there is a biological yeah, tie I mean, to, there. there's a biological tie made to my family right but if i but a just running into a dude that has the same skin color as me doesn't make him family. I don't, I don't have, I don't have covenantal 
a, a covenantal commitment. Do you have so let me ask it like this: Do you have a covenantal commitment to your ethne, ethnicity? So, in that sense, you know, and, and I guess yeah. in your color well, of your so, skin. So, ethne, the the Greek word, and ethnicity are not the same. So, ethnicity is an English word, and um, mm. the, it it's a fallacy to say ethnicity the way we define it. And ethne, the Greek word, are the same thing. So, um, so, uh, so when we're talking about skin color and we're talking about people, we're actually talking about different things. Yeah. Should be so, right. So, so Paul, he says, I, I, I want my, my people, right, to be saved. Right. He's talking about the Jews and he's, he's talking, but, but it's not, um, it's not a skin color thing, right? It's, um, it's a, uh, you know, but it's, it's still a real thing. And he says, I want them to be saved, but he also washes his hands of them and walks away and goes to the Gentiles, um, in, in the book of Acts, right? Like he just, he says, okay, I'm done. I'm I'm done with them, and he walks away, and we don't look at him and say, "Oh man, he's breaking a a vow," or you know, he he's doing exactly what God is calling him to do. He walks away from his people to his people because his people are no longer his people. His ethne is the church. His ethne becomes the Gentiles, um, and he even goes so far as to say the mark of a real Jew. So he marks off as the one who has been circumcised in the heart, not on the exteriors. Right. He, he he makes that pretty clear of what defines his people now. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think that's that's and it's complex because you know um, in Romans eleven he says I want my people to be saved, but I also know that it's going to be a long time. It's going to be uh, you know all the all the Gentiles are coming in first. Um, so. Uh, there, he's not precious with his people. It's not stick with them, or else, you know, because they're not. The, yeah, it's. He, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm the best, and, and he even says, like, I, I'm really, I'm really, really Jewish, and to hell with it all. It's, it's all filthy rags. <laughs> he repents of it. Right then, Philippians. Hmm. Just thinking about the Tower of Babel. Part of the uh, part of the criticism that was given to the people was that they didn't go out and spread out and become separate. Right? They didn't. You know, um, if you look at creation, the order of creation, God forms it. It's good. He separates it. Right? Keeps doing that over and over. And here it goes again. God has these people. They're created. Go do this thing. They're not being. They're not separating. They're not doing. So He separates them, just like in creation again. And so there is this, um, as there, you know, there is all these different groups now that are created because of that type of separation. And so it's to be distinct. It's to be um, different, right? And so that and. God is looking at that and saying that's what he wants. It's beautiful that those different separate distinctions between people. He likes all that. Um, 
Do you think that that's kind of what some of these, um, I think I see it in some of my black nationalists, maybe I, I could call them, and some of my white nationalists that are out there um, are trying to protect these kind of groups. Uh, and then the Christian ones are in there too. And then trying to just making sure that they have these distinct groups um, and preserve them before um, the beauty of it. it. Well, a couple of things. One, it doesn't stay beautiful generally very long. If you say, Hey, we're going to go over here with just our racial group and try and preserve it. Right. It, or- it gets, it gets ugly really fast in every, in every historically in every situation I'm aware of. Um, but, but I think that's because if you've got something good, your job is not to preserve it. It's to share it. Right. And mm. that's, that's how we treat blessings. And if we hold our life, we lose it. If we give it away, we get it back. And um, so, I mean, I, I think if, if if you say you know what man i love being <laughs> scottish and so i'm never going to i'm going to try and retreat and hold everything about being scottish to myself and protect it um you're going to lose it but if well, you okay. but won't you love it won't you lose it, it well okay so then i hear the other side of this um aren't you going to lose it though if you merge it with something else You'll lose what so if you Scottish marry a black woman and then these two merge and you've lost Scottish. Right? You you're you're thinned out the Scottish tradition, right? So preserving <laughs> it means that it gets to live on and so that it can be observed. So, man, if you're Scott if your Scottish heritage is so fragile that it can't be passed to one of your children because their skin is darker then your Scottish heritage is really not much. It's pretty thin, right? I mean, it, it, that, wow. that seems that, that, just, that just seems like if that's not a heritage that's even worth protecting if it's that weak, it's that that's, thin. You know, though, that that's ex- a lot of, I think even that's a lot of people who feel that way inside of black culture too, that are very much. I think like, so. Like, I mean, you, you know, you 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 pointed out when I when I was all excited about Toby Nguyen's because uh, man I love his beats I still do yeah his new album yeah yeah his beats are fire but resurrection hip hop like, man yeah you like has black nationalism and I couldn't see it because I just wasn't familiar and then as soon as you pointed out I was like oh dang you're right because um, he's a good <laughs> poet he's a good writer his wife's a good writer he is um, and uh, but but it is black nationalism right now. Black nationalism is not necessarily a big threat to me. I'm not. Right. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, that's. I'm not going to fall into that very easily. Um, right. And so it's. I. It's like you know, listening. I was was listening to uh, por- Portuguese hip hop this morning, and I was like, yeah, I don't even know what it, it have. I don't mean I know some of the words, but I don't know Portuguese. It just happens to be close to some languages that I do know, and so I know some of the words, but they, but the pronunciation's so smooth because it of the, the the Portuguese language is so smooth. So I'm loving it. It's not. And a, a friend of mine that speaks Portuguese, he was like, that song's actually pretty dirty. 
<laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's still totally not a threat to me. I don't know the language well enough to for it to even affect me, right? Um, and so, uh, uh, but you know, if 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 I came, so so I think some of there is just some of that, like it. Uh, there's there's a certain kind of nationalism that is a temptation to someone in my situation and there's a certain kind of nationalism that's not um but it's anything that you start taking pride in right that we're supposed to say mm, no i don't i don't do that right i boast in christ period mm. um so everything right? I else like is how you a said gift, a gift to enjoy um, and you talked uh, about rightly ordered loves like that is mm-hmm. Because I think you have yeah. one side that says, nah, not at all. But no, no, no. Rightly ordered loves. Put it in the perspective it's supposed to be in. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I, my, I mean, I'm my Scottish clan is the Fairleys of Ross. Um, my my grandma can uh, trace our family back to the to the 600s, the 7th century, um, and the the Fairleys were the they were the handsomest. Uh, men of the clan of Ross, so the the handsomest son of Ross, got he, they were called the that's they were fairest, so they're fairly, which is the uh, and so they, the uh, and then you then you can trace the the family down um, when they came to America, all that. I love that story, and I I, I you know the the first uh, Scottish General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church, what my I'm a direct descendant of the man who preached the first sermon there. Right. I, I love it. I, ha- I told my kids that I love that the, um, the founding pastor of the Baptist church uh, in um, I believe it's St. John, Washington. It's, it's about, it's, it's the, uh, if you're driving from Spokane to, um, to uh, Moscow, you know, that 30 minutes in you hit the rest stop and then, there's a uh, that next town, um, the the only church in town there for generations was founded by my great 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 grandfather, right? So, um, so I, I love I love my heritage, uh, and but it's not it's not righteousness to boast in. It's it's a gift to enjoy, um, but what do you do with gifts? Well, if you try to hold on to them, you lose them. You got to share them. Um, so, you know that's. I mean, and then people that are like, oh, you should marry within your race. They just don't. That's that's not how. I mean, Solomon, the wisest man in the history of time of all, you know, he he says there's a handful of things I don't understand. Seven of them. One of them he lists as the way a man and a woman fall in love. He's mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's a mystery. I don't know how. I don't know how it ever happens. Ever works. Um, if if you want to then say, yeah, but let me limit it even further down to oh, you can only marry within. So like that's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, man. There's so much I want to talk about still with this, but we've been already going at this for a minute, and we still haven't got to this doggone poem. That you- <laughs> Haven't got to it, but you know what though? I think this is really interesting. If just to speak of poetry, is because part of it is being able to see so many things operating, like these covenants within covenants laid on top of each other. It's poetic, right? It like that is, yeah. You know, it's a, and, and it's. The, a, I think it's a 
it's a poetic it's a poetic vision of submission mm. in, in which in which we get to do a lot of submitting to a lot of authorities because they are the jurisdictions of the, the authorities that God places in our life are layered poetically and um and we get to do a lot of layered submissions and it's it's beautiful i mean i i my elementary school librarian gave me was the first one to hand me a book of king arthur and i was like all i for years all i want is a queen i wish i would have been born someplace where i could have a queen right because it's such yeah. a beautiful vision um to have uh of the uh that that he presents of queen guinevere and the whole thing right like the um the but we don't we don't present uh, uh, we don't we don't un, we don't have a vision for the beauty of the way God organized the world and so we don't pa- so we don't pass it on to our kids um we we end up submitting ourselves to an ugly vision of reality but that's just the way it it is um we we stare down the harsh the harsh realities of the world and then swallow and then we can't and you can't pass that on to your kids your kids end up the opposite of you. Well, you won't be passing anything on to your kids because the moral imagination has already been sewed into by the secularists. So they'll right. pass on whatever moral imagination to your kids. I mean, just to end it back where we started, this is why the moral imagination, this is why Christians need to invest inside of changing the moral imagination of the world. We need to be Christians who are in love with God, in love with Christ, in love with our Bibles, and go make things from Scripture and from just the, the, the lovely world that God has given us that impact and fight against this negative, unbiblical cosmology and put a, mm-hmm. a new moral imagination inside of the next generation of the, in the next 20 years. We need to give $20 million to an episode, a series, and put it out there. We need to make so much news that we do what Kevin Kevin Costner did. Remember, he came out with the first multi-million dollar film. It was uh, super million. It was like $200 million for for Waterworld. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody even cared if it was a good movie or not. Right. But they got impacted by it because Kevin Costner came and did it. Right. And so, like, let's do something that has a, makes a whole lot of noise. Well, if we can do that, if we have the ability and the skills yeah. in which to do that. Otherwise, if you don't read great stories that create that moral imagination in your kids. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure I, I mean, I texted you this the other day, but I also think I've broke the code on how to do it too. But. Shh, shh, don't see it. Don't share that here. We'll talk about that later. I won't. <laughs> All right, man. <laughs>